Hello everyone, welcome back to The Switch. My name is Ife and this is still The Switch. Um, so I have a very, very interesting guest on, on our show today. Um, so his his name is Jacob. I'm trying as much as possible not to pronounce his last name so I don't commit um, a monumental error. Um, so he's a, he's a research um, guy at um, the Clayton Christian Institute. Um, so, but first of all, I want to say a big thank you to the guys at Clayton Christensen Institute, especially FOSA. Um, I reached out and you know they were more than happy to recommend um, the awesome, awesome Jacob. So Jacob, we are here. Thank you for honoring the call, and it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm really, really excited and and truly honored uh, to to be here and to share with you and the audience. Uh, the exciting stuff we work at the Clayton Christensen Institute, and I, I think you know that is something that at this point of where we are, and Efosa and I we really want to mainstream uh, the power of market creating innovation, which I think we're going to go into it um, in into much details uh, later on. But you know, shout out to Efosa Ojomo. Um, he's a mentor of mine. He's a great friend, um, a true brother, and um, you know, as you know, there's always this thing like no you don't get to a certain point in life by yourself and he has really you know um been a, a very good um, mentor and just a, a role model for me so um i just want to acknowledge that you know and put that out there but thank you so much for inviting me yeah thank you very much Jacob. Uh, so another big ups to Efosa. um so i think i read about Efosa a while back when he was writing about how he transitioned from um, Nigeria to um, to the US and and all of the struggles that he had and some so it, it, his his story just you know caught my eye and then that was when I eventually heard about Clayton Christensen of blessed memory. Um, so I mean it, it's interesting to be talking about the market creating innovations. Um, I'm I'm sure when people eventually listen to to this episode they will understand why I'm always raving and then just like you said you know going mainstream with, with market creating innovations yep exactly you know one thing that i mean just just take a step back so um i myself i wasn't um unfortunately i didn't get to meet the the late professor clayton christensen oh, really yeah um it's really sad you know i joined the institute this year he unfortunately passed away uh january of last year so um I didn't get to meet him in person. Uh, no, but one thing that, you know, just being at the Institute that I've seen is just his spirit is still around, right? His, um, his language is still around. Uh, people speak the way he speaks uh, just because, you know, he's just, you can tell like he really had a very, you know, um, like really, really strong impact on each and everyone that he um, touched or, you know, or mentored or, you know, uh, you know, just, just being around him was, was impactful, uh, being under, you know, uh, kind of the secondary, uh, interactions with the actual primary people that he worked with. So, but, you know, one thing that is really, really, uh, amazing, not just him as a person, as a great person, you know, from what I hear and just from what, you know, the books I've read that he wrote, is that he really wanted to make a difference in the world through uh, yeah. the theories that he yeah. designed, right? And and that's something that 
I'd love to share with you some of those theories, especially market creating innovation, which I think you are doing a great job to share that with your friends and colleagues as well. Yeah, I mean, it is so. I mean, it was sad to hear of of, of his um, of his death when it happened, but I mean, the legacy that he left behind, and you know, and the theories that he proposed, it it's it's. I'm sure it's going to make a ton of impact um, into in, in the world as we know it today. So, um, so so let's just dig in. Um, so Jacob, do, do you yeah. mind just sharing some sort of? background before you eventually came across you know market creating innovations definitely definitely so uh just um so yeah and i'll just go a little bit back so i i, I knew a fossil world back right about four four years ago and at that time he he had, you know he was uh, already working with the uh, uh, late professor clayton christensen and so i had some idea of what he was doing i didn't really um you know, just being part of the work, I've seen how powerful and honestly, it's like it really changes your life and how you think about, you know, the world, how you think about yourself personally, and how you how you think about how you can make a difference in the world through your work, right? So, um, so just case in point, the first point is that I've, I knew a full side a while back, so I had a, I had like some uh, behind the scene, you know, exposure to. Um, uh, this this disruptive innovation, which is you know in a, in a, in a way is it can it sounds very um, secular, like everybody says disruptive innovation, but yeah. at least to think about very differently, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So to that, you know, I, I had that background information, but once I joined the institute, I really understood different types of innovation and why this type of innovation, market creating innovation, is really important for. Uh, growth economies and how we should be thinking about systems and you know governments and entrepreneurs and innovators differently uh, that work and that impact differently right so um that that transition from being behind the scene to being like at the middle of the pack and you know yeah. assisting him has really really been different so interesting uh, okay so, so let, let's just dive right in. so what exactly are market creating innovations Sure, sure. That's that's uh, that's a good question. And one one thing that we really um, try to first set the groundwork is that one, you know, the first thing that's really critical at the institute and how we talk about our work is that we really want to set the pace and start with a common language, right? So when you talk about innovation, right? If you ask, you know, five people on the street or at home, like what's innovation? People have different definition of innovation, right? And one thing that we we strongly uh, look at is first we have to have a common language, right? What is innovation, yeah. Um, yeah. and how can we define it? Single, uh, just in one, one, in one term. So innovation to begin with is when you put in resources into a system and you create a higher value as an output, right? You put okay. in something in and. Uh, tentatively you have a higher uh, output as a result of that right so there has to be some gain but um within the institute we have defined innovation in in three types right okay um and these three types of innovation is like the foundation of how we think of economies how we think of government's role and entrepreneurs and investors role so there are three types of innovations that i just want to lay the groundwork before i get into okay. my innovations awesome yeah so the first one um is called sustaining innovation right 
Okay. If you look at your iPhone, for example, I know the iPhone 13 came out, right? Yeah. These are innovations that you know um, they just make existing products better, right? So you you literally um, have you know a Toyota Camry and you go to a Toyota Hybrid, right? Or you go from an iPhone 12 to an iPhone 13. Um, the, the thing about this innovation, this type of innovation, is that is is, um, is is vibrant, is exciting. It gets the economy going. Um, okay. it, it makes things fun, right? If you have a new iPhone, that's exciting, right? Yeah. But it doesn't really create a lot of jobs, right? It actually, I agree. Um, yeah, right? the jobs, the job level is still the same because you just use the same people to. Apple uses the same employees to, to build a new iPhone, right? So that first time, first type of innovation is sustaining. It's nice okay. for the economy. It's exciting, and it's good. It's not. It's not a you know kind of a terrible innovation. It's really important. The second type of innovation uh, we call efficiency innovation, right? So this you just make uh, you do more with less, right? Okay. So for example, when Walmart, I don't know if Walmart is in Africa, but you know when you have this large warehouse slash you know um, retail stores that yeah. get into a community, right? They actually make things much more efficient in a way, right? You can go in there, buy some food. From the company's perspective, it makes things efficient. They do more with less, but it actually uh, uh, eliminates jobs, right? Because yeah. think, as a matter of fact, when things like that get better, um, when you try to improvise and make things less costly and cut down cost to improve, um, um, you know, getting things more efficiently, yeah, uh, you people jobs are eliminated, but yeah. you know it's good sometimes, right? You free up frees up cash flows and increases money on the balance sheet. So yeah. that's important, but at the same time, it's not good for the economy because jobs are eliminated. Yeah. Then the last type of innovation is called market creating innovation. This this is the really exciting and the fun. I won't say just fun, but like this is the the life changing type of innovation that we at the Global Prosperity team are advocating for and this type of innovation is that you are going after a market that um literally you're trying to create a new a product or a service for so that it should be affordable and accessible for millions and millions of people yeah and as a result of that as you're creating the company you tend to hire a lot of people you tend to create a lot of jobs yeah and you tend to provide services and products to people that traditionally didn't have access to that product or service. Very but true. once you figure out the right, so once you figure out the value network, once you figure out the business model, and once you figure out the enabling technology that can create a new market, okay, there's a lot that will happen, right? A new industries can be created, a lot of wealth can be generated, and economies can change as a result of that. It's a very exciting type of innovation that um, once like entrepreneurs and innovators can get that value network and business model working, as well as an enabling technology and create something that's affordable accessible for many, it can literally change the way we think of, of um, you know, the impact of in entrepreneurs and investors and how we can really grow the economy in, in especially in most places in Africa. Wow. So what, what exactly makes it unique from um, from the other types of innovations. Yeah, I mean, you've spoken about sustainability um, and then efficiency innovations, which basically, so by the time, I mean, so 
for, for efficiency innovations, we're looking at issues where, or case in point, where you start to automate jobs or digitize jobs, and then we, you don't need as much people to do a particular job, you know, as much as possible. So you're cutting costs and then putting you know money on the table to do all that stuff, exactly. just like you said, freeing cash flow, right? Yes. Um, exactly. So, so what what exactly makes you know market creating innovations unique? So, what exactly is the fuss or the buzz about you know this this particular type of innovation? You know, so I, I, let, let's take a step back. So one of the things that um, was really exciting about Ephesus' book, and, uh, and maybe perhaps you mentioned it already, so Ephesus and their professor, Christian Senning, with Karen Dillon, wrote this book, and it came out in 2019, The Prosperity Paradox. Yeah, The Prosperity, right? yeah. I mean, so it's just before you go on, I've read that book like four times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it just good. I just keep seeing different angles every time I pick it up the examples the amount of research that, that had gone into that book I mean it, it's just an awesome book um, so very interesting fact right so I've bought four copies and all of the four copies have been taken from my library interesting <laughs> <laughs> at the moment I don't have any and I plan to buy another one <laughs> no that, that that's that's really exciting and lovely to hear that thanks thanks so much for reading the book and I think um you know, one thing about the book, and you know, it's even mentioned in, in um, you know, Ephesus story at the the, the the beginning of the book, you know, about how you know he when he came to the US, got it really, you know, he was comfortable here, right? He yeah. wanted, didn't want to go back to Nigeria, and you know, there was no like you know incentive to go back. And when he read this book, um, and there was this lady, this young girl rather, who woke up very early in the morning to go fetch for water many miles right to go yeah. across the water and th- that that didn't sit well with him right so with a bunch of friends and him uh decided to fundraise some money a couple of hundred thousands of dollars to start wells right yeah so that you know people don't have to walk those miles but one thing that was really common you know three a month later or two months later after they had set up these walls was that they keep on they kept on breaking down right and they had to call yeah. people to fix them and all that but that, in a sense, is right. It's like for most of growth economics, as we call, which means emerging markets, but growth economics, yeah. as we call it, CCI, is that we always think that solution is equivalent to outcome, right? We tend to always look at um, struggles, right, and the lack of something, and this tries to provide solution to the lack of, right, hoping that our solutions will be equivalent to the outcome of what we do. If you look back even in the late, you know, 60s, 70s, and now, you know, 80s, 90s, and even now in the 2000s, a lot of money and, you know, from non-NGO, non-governmental organizations, you know, the IMF, that poured in a lot of money into solving the lack of, right? The yeah. push. A lot of poverty um, elevation programs. Yeah. Exactly. So, that book, and especially in the times we are now, which I think one thing I really, uh, one um, um, one guy I really admire too as well, um, said that, you know, nothing is as powerful as um, the right timing of an idea. Mm, very true. Right? So, um, I think that when the book was published and even what we're going through now with, you know, COVID, we're still struggling to get out of COVID, is that yeah. we always tend to look at problems 
as struggles rather than opportunities, right? Yeah. And when you look at market creating innovation, it literally helps us to identify what's the struggle and how can we connect that struggle to an opportunity that can be uh, a way that we can actually create um, an economy for people who struggle or for communities that struggle, right? Because the essence of market creating innovation and at the very core of it is what we call non-consumption, right? Which just means yes. that these are people that traditionally don't have access, so don't have time. product or service. Yes. Or they don't have the skill sets f- to use that product. And one fourth thing that EFOSA is actually now thinking about is uh, there's some cultural inhibition to mm. have access to that thing, right? There's, okay. there's some cultural preference, right? Which is the fourth thing that we're actually thinking about. And if you look at it for the most part, right? Um, in most economies in Africa, and this, I know we know, know there's different types of economies, right? Nigeria is doing differently, Kenya is doing differently, you know, yeah. um, Ghana, South Africa, right? But for the most part, most people, just by the metrics that comes out from the World Bank and stuff like that, you know, that the below the poverty line, right? But how do you create a product or service that you literally and if also mentioned this, you profit from the poor. It sounds very, it sounds very, you know, it might not sit well, but it's like, how do you create something that people that traditionally don't have access to something can have access to that thing? Access to, yeah. And in, and in the long term, like actually become, you know, like do well in society, right? Um, that service or product you're creating can actually give them, you know, access to something that uh, can make their lives better, right? And and as a result of that, you as an innovator or as an investor will have access to a huge market because yeah. for the most part, non-consumption is pretty high, you know, in terms of numbers, right? Yeah. So even though you can provide or create something that is of, I mean, in terms of value, in terms of price value, can be low. The the, the 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 amount of people that might benefit from that is a lot, right? And I'll just say one thing. When we talk about market creating innovations and providing products and services to to you know you might you know people of you know, people that are not the richest people in the country, it doesn't mean that the quality has to be low or really exactly. uh, not good yeah. quality, right? It just means that you're just creating something that based on the current dynamics of or the current value network, rather, yeah. they don't have access to that. So you're creating something that they can use. They understand it, and you understand. And you're solving a struggle that doesn't exist for the richest people in that community in that country, right? So it's all about creating something that one provides access, gives them time. You know, they don't need a lot of skills to use it, and it also you know overcomes that that cultural barrier. Wow. That's, that's that's I mean that that's literally um, you know changing the game of of creating products and services for people, especially um, mostly in, in developed countries, right? Um, and, and it basically brings me to the next question. I, I want to believe that um, you know there's some excitement around these theories at at the institute, both the creating both the Clayton Christian Institute and then the Global Prosperity Institute as well. Um, so, so for you guys, right? Um, okay, so I'm going to ask two questions, right? Could, could you give us like 
um, some sort of examples of you know, this like, market creating innovations and then how they ended up you know opening up more jobs and then improving the economy that's the first that's the first question and and the second question is um why isn't there so much awareness about it i know the, the guys you guys are trying to you know make it go mainstream and all of that but i've noticed so for example i was having a conversation from from someone in canada yesterday and then i was saying that i had a session with you guys today and she literally said what exactly is that and i recommended the um you know the book the global prosperity um the prosperity, prosperity yeah and she was like okay she was she was gonna you know start reading it and then she sent me a text a few minutes just before we started this session and she said wow she literally can't put the book down because and she she intends to finish it just before anything and then we can have we can have a conversation (laughs) (laughs) so i mean so those are my two questions the first one is i mean some examples and the second question is why isn't it mainstream or let me use the word popular yet definitely i mean those are great questions and i think that's that's our work right the institute and um you know, so I mean, I'll start with your second question, and I will just yeah. also, you know, give highlight. So, one of the things that we, at this point in time, we're trying to mainstream that through like boot camps. You know, uh, we write blogs, and and you know, in general, right? When you have ideas like this that you know just um, spark your intuition or just your curiosity differently, you know, you know, one thing that that is really um, interesting is that sometimes you really have to be um, curious enough, right? And be in that ecosystem that can really let you think and marinate some of this this kind of breakthrough. I'll say I'll consider our words a breakthrough ideas. But, you know, one thing that we're really trying to do now is, you know, launching the boot camps in okay. Africa. We just did Kenya last, last week and we're trying to build uh, we're actually building an ecosystem where we can actually pull in people to kind of speak this language as a common, as a common thing, right? So, what I said about that, and I'm sure you're gonna see um, all this the book comes coming up in other yeah, countries. I'm, 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 I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, definitely. We are also very excited about it, and we are traveling. So, like tomorrow, I'm going to Colombia with Efosa. Oh wow! About market creation there, right? Nice. So, we we, we are. Well, well, that that's kind of and and you no, know, someone like you also gonna be an advocate with your podcast and all that. So thank you yeah. so much for what you're doing. So the market creating innovation right, is very fascinating because when you think of a country like the United States, right? People always yeah. say, I mean, United States is considered one of the richest, if not the richest, uh, country in the world, right? Yeah. But if you take the U.S. 100 to 150 years ago, right? Mm. Um, the United States was yeah. very poor, actually, very, very poor. And one of the people that were really studied uh, at the Institute is Henry Ford, right? Okay. Um, Henry Ford was one of those entrepreneurs that, you know, he built a product, uh, the Model T, and he created this car that previously cars with, were meant just for the rich, right? Yeah. Um, it was considered. Um, in, in some way, uh, uh, a toy for rich people, right? But you know, Henry Ford took a step back and said, "You know what? I want to create something that every you know middle class Americans are able to, you know, take their kids to school, drive to yeah. work, yeah, um, and just do their daily life activities, right?" And I mean, now it sounds very like 
crazy. Like, hey, how can not every other guy have a car, especially in the United States? But back then, it was actually a very high commodity priced product for very select few Americans. But he said, you know what? I'm going to create a car, the Model T, the first affordable car, and make this accessible and affordable to middle class Americans, right? So he created this very affordable product. It was not the prettiest. It doesn't look like, you know, the Ford cars right now, but he created that. And bear in mind, right? They were not like the best roads. They were not the best highways back then, right? You know, gas stations were still something that had to be figured out. But what happened was that once he built this product, you know, taking into consideration, it took time, it took some iterations. But once he built this product, what happened was that when people started buying it, okay. other parts of the ecosystem had to fall in line. So the government actually had to start building roads. Um, other services and industries had to build around the car. So like people invested in gas stations, people, um, you know, built, you know, repair shops, you know, people built credit lines where people could buy cars on credit. So All what happened was that industry. Exactly, exactly. He, he saw a value of saying, what if I create something that on, you know, on the surface, it looks like just a very few, very few people can afford for it. But if I make it affordable to many, you open many markets, many industries. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the government will come and say, hey, you know what? We need to create better, you know, roads. We need to create better um, platforms for, for this car to work right so the, the the difficult part and you know one thing that FOSA is launching soon is the impossible series that we're going to interview other entrepreneurs in other great economies that are building things that in the beginning it seems impossible because you're creating something that on the surface it doesn't make sense right why do you create something that you're trying to make something affordable and accessible for many but no but going back to your question so the, the model the thought actually created what we concern now like you no know, you know how the car industry in america in, in a sense right and actually uh, uh, laid the foundation for most of the other innovations and industries yeah. that came as a result of that so that's like a very applicable example and there are many other innovations in america for example bank of america actually was started for immigrants in Los Angeles, right? This the guy who founded Market America, he was targeting immigrants. So these are people that didn't qualify for credit, they didn't have great credit scores, they didn't have good jobs. But he was like, there are a lot of immigrants in Los Angeles, right? What if I offer a service that these people can be able to open accounts? And you know, bear in mind, you know, non-consensual is very, very in, in some in some ways it's, exactly. So he created that bank is good for them and look you know a few years ago bank america actually was like the number one bank in america yeah. and now it's the second second uh, uh you know largest bank in america largest second largest bank in america but he, he started with non-consumption people that didn't have access to the mainstream type of uh protocol services right so that that's an example that when you think of non-consumption people that don't have access to met of to some of the tools, uh, sorry, the products and services, and you you go after them and create markets for them. Eventually, you own the bigger market because what happens is that a lot of people at that bottom, if I can say that, um, tend to have a larger in, tend to be large in number. That eventually um, you tend to own the market in the long mm-hmm. term. 
Yeah. Because the product gets better that even the people at the very top are, are willing to use that product and service. And because of your number metrics, you tend to own the market eventually. Yeah. Just one example for Africa. So we know we know Mo Ibrahim as a billionaire today, right? Yes. Yeah. No, in the late 90s, he, he took an, uh, a contrarian bet on Africa. It was like, what if I make mobile phones accessible to every yeah. other African? And the demographics of Africa at that time was just terrible. Like, his friends told him, like, you don't, what are you thinking? These people cannot even eat. And then how do you expect them to buy mobile phones? Yeah. But he said, no, I'll provide a phone that is affordable and accessible that these people are able to use phones. Right. The first few years, and people questioned his logic. People thought about how even in some parts of Europe, people didn't have phones. But what more of a continent like Africa in, in the late 90s, right? Early 2000s. But he created a market. What happened was that you know, a lot of people now bought into that, create a lot of other new industries. Now we have fintech, we have mobile money, we have all these other industries that came as a result of the fact that he saw the non-consumption in the market. Yeah. And created something affordable and accessible. And now if you don't do something fintech or you know, it seems like you're crazy. But back yeah, then was... <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's, I mean, the, the fintech space has literally taken over. And then, and then you're right, because if there were no mobile phones, obviously we wouldn't have mobile internet. And then, you know, and, exactly. and, and the likes of him have, you know, made that possible for us to be able to have what we have now. And, and you know, another case in point is um, Safaricom and M-Pesa in, in Kenya, exactly. if I'm correct. Exactly. I mean, it's literally the exactly. biggest mobile money operator in africa um you, exactly. you literally exactly. can't do anything in kenya without without mobile money or without mpesa they, they've literally taken over that market and i'm sure when they wanted to start it people were just wondering ah, is this actually going to work but now a yes. lot of com- a lot of countries are using that model to use as their as you know, as some sort of base model for them to create mobile money in in, in africa as a whole um, I mean, so it was interesting that you spoke about the Bank of America and um, uh, what's his name again, trying to create, yeah, to create banks for immigrants, and you know, basically that talks about people below below the belt, so to say. Um, and that literally brings me to my to my next question. So, what exactly is the role of market creating innovations in lifting people out of poverty, especially in in developing nations um, where Africa is more or less in the center of it? That's a good question. And by the way, just to go back to Bank of America, I was founded by this Italian um, guy. His name is Amado Peter Gianni. And Gianni. So it was actually Bank of Italy. Um, then it became Bank of, of America. America. So he was, he was an immigrant himself. So kind of understood the struggle that came Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that is really fascinating, especially, I know you said you read the book four times and you had four copies and sold out and all that. So one thing that the book really showed, and, you know, that's the, I think that's beauty of the book and also how we think of market creation innovation is that the paradox in the book is that poverty, you know, we tend to think that if you solve poverty, ultimately people can become prosperous, uh, uh, prosperous, prosperous yeah. right? Yeah. 
but actually you have to create an environment of prosperity and then that will solve poverty interesting so it, 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 the equation has been is backwards and that in a sense you know when you think of how we look at challenges in africa right um you go to uh, an area and it's oh there's lack of people are not educated yeah so we should build a school yes but you know one thing about market creating innovation is that we think of a system we don't think of you know one isolated event right or one isolated place in that community we say what when once a market creating innovator you think of how can the system be able to elevate people, create prosperity in that community that solves multitude of problems. It problems. might create new problems, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's an ecosystem uh, innovation, right? And one thing that we studied a lot at the, at the Institute is called um, the modularity theory that talks about interdependence and modularity and how you know, going to, let me say, I'm now from Cameroon. You go to Cameroon, you build a school, and you say, okay, in the next five years, if we have 150 pe- people educated in that school, that means we're going to get 150 people getting new jobs. Yeah. But we haven't thought about who are the people who get hired, who hire them to get a job, right? True, yeah. How will, you know, how will the people even, how will these kids even eat in the morning before mm-hmm. going to school, right? If they fall sick, would it be a good You see the point? So poverty is the the, the whole point is that market creating innovation in it at the at its core is a it's, it's a systemic type of innovation. It creates a platform where other in industries or other innovators can be pulled in to kind of build build around a problem. Right, so that it becomes interdependent, right? Uh, and the modularity theory that we talk about at the institute really gives an idea of what has to be interdependent and what has to be um, modular. So let me give an example. So in the US, right, um, we have you know Department of Transportation, Department of Education, yes, um, the, the Department of you know uh, Defense. The thing about those isolations or let me say the model modularity of those departments is that at the baseline they can function by themselves okay. right um the education department has a specific goal that they can address without thinking that oh the healthcare department will not do a good job they know yeah. the healthcare department is going to do a good job right yes but when you go back to africa and you say okay let's build a school the transportation to get to that school is pretty challenging. Yeah. Right. So, the Department of Transportation doesn't work with the Department of Education, but you then expect a system to work. So, in Africa, we need integrated systems. We need the Department of Transportation to work with the Department of Education, and the market creating innovation is built into that integrated idea of how do we solve the systemic problem rather than solving problems in isolation. And as a result of that, if you think about, you know, when we do our sessions at the boot camps and the entrepreneurs of our profile, once they're doing their um, struggle analysis, we look at what is it that you're building, taking into consideration all the different or the multitude of challenges that that, that uh, cost consumer is experiencing. 
right? So yeah. you're building something that you're taking care of all the pain points. Oh, I mean, majority of the pain points that that entrepreneur can experience or will experience, right? And I think that, in a sense, is what is really. I think that's what's very impressive about market creative innovation. I'm not saying this is easy, right? Because when you yeah. think about it, it requires a lot of investment, it requires a lot of thought processing, mm. and it requires a lot of value network creation, right? Yeah. Sometimes you literally have to link. Almost always, in fact, you you have to create a new value network to to for market creative innovation to be to work to come into fruition. Yeah. Exactly. But we have to think of systems because once you think of systems, you don't just look at so lack of, you think of opportunities. How can you build around something to create something that will last longer and eventually create prosperity in, in that in, in that society? And just give one more example. So you know, one thing that we always advocate for is that you know, if you think of you know, just even in very developed countries, right? When people go home, they don't, you know, you don't have security. I mean, you have 911, you can call. But in general, everybody has a system that they, they know that it's going to work. It's going to be, you know, it's going to provide what it has to provide, like security, right? Yes. But in the places like Africa, Africa, but Nigeria or Cameroon, you have these very yeah. many people that hire bodyguards and all that because by yes. exactly because by definition um the system is still very uh poorly integrated yeah that when as a market creating innovator when you think of stuff like that let me say someone wants to build a security company they have to understand that you know what the other infrastructures that are lacking that if i want to build a highly secure system i have to understand that the national a defense the national police force is not equipped enough to handle you know the whole system as a, as a country right so that is ingrained in market creative innovation as we think about building type of company right and i think that's very important on how we are addressing poverty and also how we yeah. create prosperity right yeah. so i hope that kind of clarifies the yeah, mindset yeah, yeah. of yeah, it does. It does. It, it really does. I mean, so it it, it just broadens the, the thought and the perspective in the sense that you have to create systems for things to work, right? So, yes. I mean, the example you gave of the school and just now the security system. I mean, so if I build a security company or even a health a hospital and there is no... So, and then I send out um, a dispatch or uh, an ambulance and then there is no oxygen you know, to be given to patients exactly. in that ambulance, it just won't work because exactly. that system, that that chain in that whole system is already broken. I mean, literally. Exactly. So, yeah, so you, your explanation actually makes, you know, makes things a lot more um, prettier, so to say, and then also puts a, a lot of stuff in in perspective as well. Um, I mean, so just before my next question, I have like a mini question. Is there a framework to creating, you know, um, market creating innovations more like um, a thought pattern a thought process that has to go into play before people can say okay look I'm, I'm about to set on this journey to create something that will change um, change the, the economic landscape definitely so we are, we are the institute we use theories right yeah. and the thing about theories is that people always think theory means theoretical which means yeah. impractical yeah but 
terrorism uh, is a statement of causality. It means uh, it, you know, it's a statement that says, yeah, what causes what and why exactly, right? And for the most part, and, and the terrorists have been, you know, tested, and you know, late Professor Clayton Christensen did a lot of, uh, you know, consulting work with companies like Dell, and he actually was the the, the consultant for. The United States Milit- uh, uh, Department of Defense to build an, an independent unit to go after uh, the non-nation of nations, because he looked at how can you create an independent system that has an independent, in a way, business model that can go after a specific group of people without yeah. really, uh, you know, negating you know other powers like Russia, which is yeah. a rivalry of America. So. We use theories to, to frame, theories are a framework of how we think of um, struggles, right? So we have the the jobs to be done theory that actually yeah. gives us an idea of how do you figure out a consumer's behavior, not just from the functional side of it, but from the emotional side, emotional of, it, side right? of it, yeah. and from the social side of it. So that helps you identify the struggle, right? Um, we have the inter- interdependence and the modularity theory which I mentioned that helps you understand like what is the thing that I need to build uh, independent of the system and what are the things that I need to build in addition to my product. Like and there are certain things I need to build out of the core competency of my business because the system is not well developed yeah. to contain all those other units that is critical for the success of my business, right? So interdependence and modality is very very important of how you think of innovation market creation innovation just to be done to really equally as important and we use these frameworks and we, we have the disruptive innovation of course which you know yes. how do you create something like that for them accessible so these theories yeah. give us frameworks of how we think of struggles how we build products that um creates that focus, especially on, on non-consumption, which is what leads to market creating innovation, right? I personally really love the inter- interdependence and modularity theory because it gives you what you need to, you know, wrap your wrap your hands around and what you really yeah. can build independently, right? Um, like the modular uh, unit that doesn't really require you to go out of your core competences, right? So these are the theories we think about. We write a lot about them. Um, and we actually kind of um, use we actually use that as frameworks of how we look at ch- struggles and how we build market creating innovations. I mean, it's 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 every time I you know read or hear about market creating innovations and and I mean the, the, fir- the first time I read about theory, the job to be done theory, and I was like, okay, this is different yeah. from what I've what I learned in business school. And this is entirely yeah. different from, you know, my my status quo. And I struggled for a while. <laughs> then when Clayton Christensen told about talked about the um the milkshake theory about, you know, yes. the guy who would drive and he needed something that would sustain him all through the drive. I'm like, okay, that actually makes yeah. you know, it make, it makes a whole lot of sense, you know, thinking about it in that way. So just like you said, you are not looking at things from just a functional point of view, you also need to get to a customer's um, emotional side just to be able to understand why exactly he's trying to purchase a product. Basically, trying to find out what job he needs that product to do in his in his everyday in his everyday life. Um, 
I mean, that's it's, yeah, it's, it's it's really really insightful. Um, okay, so I, I, as we round off, I'm just going to ask this: um, so should government be using this this theory um, or this this market creating innovations, or you know, the role of government should just be creating an enabling environment and not stifle um, stifle people who you know who end up becoming entrepreneurs, trying to create um, these innovations and then bringing about jobs and creating more systems and, and putting things into place. So by the way, that's a great question. And I know that's a question that a lot of us, um, I personally as an African, always ask, like, what should the government do? Why, should, why is the government not doing this? Yeah. And we get frustrated by it. Um, just case in point, before we get out with the jobs to be done theory. So actually, Fosa published a blog today yeah, about I read the it. power. <laughs> you just read it? Okay. Yeah, I read it. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, um, just add out there, and he, he gives some examples yeah. um, on how how awesome that theory is. Um, so one thing about the government, and I wrote an article just uh, two things three weeks ago, kind of around three weeks ago, about how um, Taiwan created a space for innovation mm. and why other good economies should take note of that, right? And for the most part, right, the government doesn't have to do much. They have to okay. just create, uh, create the space for innovation. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, Ifusa always starts this uh, in most of his um, presentation is he, he gives like these multiple choice questions about how much the government spend per citizen okay. um, in, in different countries, right? So, for example, in the United States, uh, it's around you know nineteen thousand to twenty thousand per citizen, right? In Ghana, Nigeria is around three hundred to four hundred thousand, four hundred dollars. My God, four hundred dollars per, per citizen, right? Based on just the budget, right? If you look at three hundred to twenty thousand, the government in the US can do more per citizen, right? Than Nigerians yeah. or Ghanaians, right? Obviously. So yeah. by the numbers, yeah, by the numbers, they can't do much. <laughs> But we, we tend to have this pretense and it's, it sometimes seems legitimate that you know, the government is in control of most of what um, you know, the growth of the economy and all that. But as going back to my example about Henry Ford and all that, yeah. back then, you know, if you look at most of the de- developed countries we have now, back then, they were as corrupt. The government was as corrupt as what we have in some African countries. Uh, things were not functioning as well as you know, we see the United States or England. But you have people that stepped up and they looked at, you know, for one, you know, market creating innovation and how they could actually create an environment where a lot of people could get out of poverty into the middle class. And that eventually put the government in a position to actually get better, to actually start building the institutions that are important for those innovations to be able to be sustainable, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a very good talk that Ifosa made uh, did. You know, it's, it's one of I think it's one of his best TED talks about um, uh, corruption, corruption and innovation, how innovation can address corruption. Um, and one thing that is I mean, I will encourage everyone to go listen to that TED talk. But one thing is like we always look at the always thing that if we reduce corruption, then things will get better, right? You know. Get all those people into jail that has you know stolen money and stuff. Which I mean, we're not negating that they have to be held yeah. accountable. Yeah. If you think about it, if there's an economy that doesn't provide great jobs, um, 
like really really high quality jobs not just like jobs that you just get you know that you know someone is coming but like innovators and entrepreneurs that actually create as we call it market creating innovations that can actually hire people and create products that people will need for a long time you're actually solving the core of the problem yeah and trying to you know uh, sprinkle around anti-corruption um, policies or you know um or agendas right yeah so i think uh, the, the point i'm trying to make is that government can provide the space for innovations okay. okay and if innovators step up which is where we see we see a lot of value in innovators people that are bold enough to see the non-consumption in the market yeah. and create yeah. products that make the difference then a lot can happen if they just provide the space and innovators and entrepreneurs can really see the value opportunities the struggles as opportunities to create market create innovations eventually they can't the society will get prosperous that the government yeah. has to step up to meet to meet the uh prosperity and eventually yeah. that's what happens countries countries not figure out a way to do better and just case in point korea is a very good example of that right korea went through this transition phase where they literally had a very corrupt government they had a dictator but you know you had very high growth companies like samsung yeah that built a lot of national wealth that you know the last president i think that not this one the one before him actually went to jail because of corruption yeah right? yes the system was in a place where that created a very good economy that the government had to start holding people accountable accountable right yeah. right because the system in itself was in a position where we had to say okay no this system is so good at this point that now corruption becomes anti-corruption becomes much more potent and much yeah. more effective yeah right I, so that's yeah. that's kind of the the thought process yeah i mean i i totally agree with that logic um so institutions have to you know get to a point where they become more like um permit me to use the word or like enablers of anti-corruption so to say um exactly. this, yeah so they have to get to that point by and, and the more people embrace you know market creating innovations the more uh, you know the more these things will happen um over time um i mean exactly. so, from, from, from all you said so far it looks like we're missing on we're missing on a ton of you know stuff not not being able to deploy uh market creating innovations in especially in this part of the world um um, I, I know it's something that needs to be done, um, and then hopefully, you know, you guys at, at the institute would, you know, will, will continue to help to take it mainstream, and then a lot of people can understand, you know, the value of, of market creating innovations. Um, so, I, j- just as a round off, what, what what's next for the institute in, in taking this into mainstream? Um, I mean, I mean, oh I know you just spoke about the the bootcamp and 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 the rest. Um, well, it's very exciting now the institute so um workshops we organize workshops um you know colombia some first i've done some in nigeria uh the boot camps uh which is you know planted launches into seven other african countries uh kenya was the first one but we you know that this is going to be a, a boot camp series if i can say that right yeah. um the impossible podcast was starting uh impossible series um so we're gonna you know bring in some innovators that have created some 
market creating innovations and share their stories so people can really get to see that this is not something that is abstract and it's all based in theories, but actually they're creating new markets and they're actually doing really, really well. Uh, on the on the economic side, we also have uh, elevated a lot of people out of poverty in the in the countries or continents that the business are have been established, right? So, uh, and we have webinar series coming up, um, and just some really exciting stuff, you know, deep dives, right? So, and we hope that with people like you as well, right, sharing that and having these conversations with someone like you, it can really help and like, create that sense of mainstreaming market creation innovation. This goes back to our earlier question, right? How do we mainstream yeah. this? It's, you know, just yeah. reading this, sharing with your friend in Canada. And just having these conversations and dialogues, and we hope to actually curate information and data such that people can come on our website and kind of get um, something that is just very uh, digestible to them, and they yeah. can actually relate and connect to this. To this, to this, I, I, I think, um, to market create innovation, the power of of what you can do for them as well as for their communities. I, I mean, it's been. It's been literally insightful. It's been, um, I'm, I'm, I'm literally short of words now to, to see how much, you know, what you guys plan to do, you know, to make all of this mainstream in, in, in the not so distant future. Um, I mean, so I'm grateful for Jacob jumping on board. It's been, it's been an intre- interesting, almost one hour that we've had, you know, talking about um, market creating innovations. Once again, I'm going to say a big thank you to um, FOSA for for recommending you to us. It's it was it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I hope there's another book coming up soon, so that I'll be more than happy to buy and, and give out and um, give out books. <laughs> but it's it's been really really insightful, Jacob, talking to you. Um, thank you very much for for honoring our invitation. Thank you so much. And keep on doing what you're doing. You're doing some amazing work. And thanks for being an advocate for us. Uh, we appreciate you so much. So thank you for your time. And again, Efosa, thank you as well for making this happen. Yeah, thank you very thank much, you. Um, Jacob. So everyone, this is The Switch. My name is Tilly Fertile. And once again, um, I'll say a big thank you to the guys at Clayton Christian Institute and then the Global Prosperity Team. Um, it's been an interesting conversation and we hope we'll bring Jacob back once you know the the boot camps have started coming into Africa and then we can have him talk about venues and all of this this stuff as well um thank you very much Jacob do enjoy the rest of your day and all the best yep take care everyone thank you so much cheers